0: Despite the natural disasters that Puerto Rico has suffered, locals and travelers to the island alike tell us that Puerto Rico is definitely open for business.
1: So Puerto Rico is not only open for business uh, from a tourist standpoint, but I also ask people to consider where they stay, the excursions they take, uh, the, the restaurants they eat in.
0: Cuba is also open to US travelers and despite what we've heard, it is possible to travel to the island legally as a solo traveler.
2: You can do cooking classes, you can learn how to roll cigars, um, you can have salsa lessons, you can do anything you want to do. Cuba and you can have a wonderful time and you can do it legally.
0: Hear from a resident of Puerto Rico and a frequent traveler to Puerto Rico and Cuba who will share different truths about the island from what media have been sharing. Today on World Footprints with Ian
3: and Tanya Fitzpatrick. The island of Puerto Rico was still recovering from the destruction caused by Hurricane Maria when a magnitude 6.4 earthquake shook the island. As of this taping, Puerto Rico was hit by a 5.3 quake. Yet despite these natural disasters, Shara Ratliff, owner of Purple Coqui Tours, and a resident of Puerto Rico, along with freelance writer Cassandra Brooklyn, who just returned from Puerto Rico, say that the island is not as devastated as has been portrayed, and it is open for tourism business. Sarah, let's start with you. You live on Puerto Rico, so from your perspective as a local resident and not a tour operator, describe the impact that the earthquake and previously, Hurricane Maria has had on the island as a whole.
1: So, um, first of all, uh, Puerto Rico, being in the Caribbean, is accustomed to hurricanes. I mean, I wouldn't say the preparedness plan by the government is very well; it's it's non-existent. But people still are certainly we we live in we live with the constant notion that a hurricane can hit anywhere between august and and november so we're pretty much mentally prepared for it um earthquakes although we sit in a subduction zone the people don't think about puerto rico as earthquake prone um my husband and i've been here 11 years and we came from california where we're accustomed to earthquakes so when we when we we've, we've had some shakes over the years and didn't really think much about it because we lived in California so long. Um, the first few here were very traumatic for people because they're not accustomed to that much activity. And then, of course, as it wore on for days and days, then we had the 5.8 and then the 6.4 immediately afterward. the 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 general fear, the general feeling here is of absolute fear. Um, not only are people watching their neighbors houses just crumble, but we 're not accustomed people here are not accustomed to the earth shaking so frequently, so I would say fear is is uh very high here
3: mm-hmm.
1: no um, you I understand you just had another five point three yeah. yesterday yeah yesterday, yeah, the frequency had been dying down, so every day on Facebook, I start my day by reading David Begnaud and, and seeing what he has to say about Puerto Rico. He's our biggest advocate out there in the press. And so I read what he has to say.
0: David Begnaud is a CBS News correspondent.
1: And then I look at the USGS site. And so for the first few, two or three weeks of these earthquakes, I was having like eight pages of activity. So that's, that's very significant. And, um, Overall, we've had over 1,500 in the last three weeks, actually the last month. And then uh, they started dying down, and we were only getting like four pages and, and maybe five one day and then three. We'd gotten down to two uh, by last Thursday, and I was pretty encouraged by that. It's climbing back up again, not significantly, not, not, it's not, it hasn't gone from two to eight pages again, but it's, it's climbing back up. What do you mean by pages? Pages of press? Oh. Sorry, uh screenshots. Gotcha. So, yeah.
3: Oh. Yeah. Okay. Now where where specifically do you reside and and how has your
1: uh your area been impacted by the quakes? So I live in Eduardo, which is in the mountains and we are about 25 miles, maybe less from Ponce, which is uh part of it's it's one of the Uh, areas that are being hit currently um guanaga is where it's mostly being hit in the dry forest so we are definitely feeling them we're at the top of our mountain and we're and our house is half so being that we're in the mountains half of our house is on stilts so our bedroom for example is on stilts so when one hits at four in the morning (laughs) it really shakes um we've not had any damage ourselves my husband and i but, um, mm-hmm. yes, there is some damage in town. Um, some houses have crumbled. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's not as, obviously, it's not as bad as uh, in Ponce and Guanica. But um, through into the mountains, Hayuya, Ajuntas, Ciales, and Utuado, yeah, we are experiencing some damage.
0: Cassandra, you recently returned from Puerto Rico, and tremors are still being reported. How did the earthquake and subsequent uh, tremors affect your travels?
2: You know, I want to say that it actually didn't affect my travels very much, and I think that that's really important. I think uh, there was devastation, and the media is reporting on it as they should, uh, but I think there really was a lot of focus on, uh, on the earthquakes and how it did devastate some Puerto Ricans, and there wasn't enough coverage about how quickly San Juan got the power back on, and how many activities and tourist attractions and possibilities there are that are still open and available. I was still able to go to the beach. I was still able to rent a car and drive around. I was still able to go uh, hiking to explore a cave. I was still able to do paddle boarding and experience the bioluminescence, and I was still able to do uh, everything on my list of what I wanted to do on that trip.
0: So you mentioned some of the places you went to, such as beaches and caves. What were some of the areas specifically that you traveled to on the island, and what did you see?
2: So I started in San Juan, and I spent a couple of days there exploring the city. And there, cer- there certainly were neighborhoods uh, outside of San Juan that did not have power yet. And so there were people who were operating generators uh, to get by within old san juan which is where the majority of the tourists go the electricity had been restored and there were fewer people out at night there were fewer puerto ricans going out at night uh, but restaurants were open and for the most part everything was functioning normally Uh, i then rented a car and i headed west and i went to uh, the cueva ventana which is a um a beautiful cave to explore and then I headed to Rincon the beach which is in the northwest corner um, and then I headed south towards Guanica uh, to experience the bioluminescence um, and I was a little bit nervous because I know that was the focal point of the of the earthquakes uh, I did not feel anything down there and then I uh, headed back north up to San Juan.
3: Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, you know, um, hearing what you're saying, hearing what Cassandra said, is uh, I, Are we correct to assume that uh, Puerto Rico is definitely open for business for, for oh, tourism? Oh, yeah. okay.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, if I may say so, I mean, if it's okay to to um, mention what my company does, um, we do experiential travel. So. Absolutely, Cassandra. You know, I hope you had a great time in in San Juan and the bioluminescent bay. Um, and those are certainly aspects of our of of what we focus on. But the pr- primarily what. Purple Cookie Tours focuses on is experiential travel. So Puerto Rico is not only open for business uh, from a tourist standpoint, but I also ask people to consider where they stay, the excursions they take, uh, the, the restaurants they eat in, because nothing against um, the Hilton and, and, and the big name hotels and the big chain restaurants, but they don't really need our, our tours. They don't need your tourist dollars. Who needs your tourist dollars? Are the local mom and pop shops, the food trucks, the local excursions run by Puerto Ricans? Staying in a Hilton is great, but it, it doesn't really do much for the people who really need it. And the incomes here are very low in comparison to the U.S. So if I can encourage people to to patronize the smaller businesses, just stop at a at a, at a food truck as you're driving along the road, or um, go go to go do some zip lining, that kind of thing. Um, so, so how, yeah, we're definitely open. Sorry. How is
3: Airbnb on the island? Is is that it's very uh, plentiful.
1: Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Um every single town has several Airbnbs. Um Utuado is, is small by comparison with uh San Juan, but we have several Airbnbs. Um all throughout the throughout the whole island Airbnb exists and you'll have several options and they're pretty cool. Some of them are are very different. You can stay in a treehouse. You can stay in a ski chalet. A ski chalet in the middle of Puerto Rico. How's that? (laughs) Who would have thunk? (laughs) Who would have thunk it? Exactly. So there's so many options. And of course, uh, probably in places like Rincón, Aguadilla uh, have more than than some areas. San Juan is just every single barrio in, in San Juan has multiple Airbnbs. So absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, Cassandra, I'm curious, how did you make your way around Puerto Rico? So
2: this time I rented a car. And I will add that my best friend just happened to be in Puerto Rico at the same time. We hadn't planned that. And she brought her bike down from New York City. And she was bike touring Cuba. So she explored a bit. I'm sorry, Puerto Rico. And she was uh, uh, in the car with me for a couple of days. And then she was bike touring Puerto Rico on her own. Um, And she had to adjust the route a bit because uh, there were some road closures and such, but there's many different ways to explore Puerto Rico. I don't think that they have, I would say they can do better with public transportation. I think that would definitely help out uh, solo tourists on their own because there's not a lot of uh, public uh, transit infrastructure for that, Uh, or perhaps Sarah can speak to that a little bit more. So I rented a car, and I found most people renting a car, um, and I also I wanted to add I really appreciated what Sarah said about the importance of you know putting tourist dollars where they're most needed and mm. I really want to talk to her uh, more about that because I also run a tour company called Escaping New York and I'm leading group tours in Mexico and in Cuba and I've had a lot of interest in Puerto Rico which I think is really important and part of the reason I was there is because I've had so many clients indicate that they want to do a trip to puerto rico and they're wondering is it safe to go what is there to do what's open so i was exploring that down there and i was posting a lot on social media uh, during my trip and after my trip and there was tremendous interest there were a couple people who were nervous but there was still tremendous interest from people who want to go to puerto rico and they're looking for that information
0: mm-hmm. now sandra you mentioned safety uh, I'm curious as to your overall experience and contrast that with some of the things that we might hear in the press about safety and just the overall fitness of the infrastructure to support visitors. What would you like to convey first and foremost about that?
2: In terms of safety, I think it's extremely safe. And I I will note that, for instance, at Cueva Ventana, it was safe for us to go in and explore the cave. And the guide said, hey, we're going to go in, we're maybe not going to spend as much time as normal. Uh, This was not in the, you know, near the epicenter of the earthquakes, but they said, just in case, we're not going to spend as much time as possible. And then there was an additional route there that we did not explore because they said they weren't sure if it was going to be safe. So the tour operators uh, down there, they are being mindful. They're not being irresponsible. They're still open for tourism, but in some cases, they're adjusting a bit. So I felt extremely safe the entire time.
3: Before we closed, we asked Sarah for her insights as a resident of Puerto Rico about how people, whether traveling to the island or not, can help.
1: So I actually wrote a blog yesterday for Purple Cookie Tours about uh, how people can help Puerto Rico and Puerto Ricans. And um, first of all, people, I think people think first about um, the Red Cross not a good idea they're they're known for their corruption um i mean they they've been they've been cited several times for taking diverting uh donation money into the executives pockets so what i think the best idea is to look for an organization either that you know personally uh do some reading online i can recommend a few there's the, the for example the national cha- uh, the national puerto rican chamber of commerce in washington dc mm-hmm. um Oddly enough, uh, all, everybody who's associated with that have, they all have personal ties to Puerto Rico. They just finished two fundraisers and they've raised several thousand dollars. Um, they've, they've also, uh, had donated tents and sleeping bags and, uh, blow up mattresses. Um, those, in addition to food and water that are not sitting in warehouses that, um, go sitting for two or three years, um. Yeah, absolutely. Talk with somebody who's local, either if you have a friend here on the island, or um, I can put up some resources on on our Facebook page for for donations, people I know that are trustworthy. Uh, Yeah, I would say mostly local.
3: Okay, perfect. And and you'll share those with, with us as well. Yes, I'd love oh. to. Thank you. Well, ladies, thank you so much for uh, sharing your, your experiences on uh, Puerto Rico and letting us know that the island is certainly open for business.
0: For more information on traveling to Puerto Rico and to find resources to help people on the island, visit the links on this show page at worldfootprints.com. Listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world one truthful story at a time. Travel deeper, explore and keep meaningful conversations going by visiting our website worldfootprints.com and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift.
3: For many years, Cuba has been the forbidden fruit that many Americans have sought to taste by traveling to the island using quote-unquote unconventional means, partly because Americans have heard that they can save money by entering Cuba through other gateways, and if they had to travel according to U.S. laws, they would be stuck in a group and restricted from enjoying real experiences. However, freelance writer and owner of Escaping New York, Cassandra Brooklyn, joins us again to share how solo and group travelers can venture to Cuba legally and within a modest budget. Cassandra, despite some legal and political challenges, um, Americans are still interested in traveling to Cuba. And some travelers, some that we know, have found creative ways to enter the country. But tell us how Americans can actually travel to Cuba legally. Sure. It, it's very easy to travel to Cuba legally.
2: Uh, a lot of people don't know that. But there's still a dozen visa categories. Some might not apply to everybody. Uh, traveling to visit family or for religious purposes for instance but there is a visa category that most people fall under which is support for the cuban people.
3: Can you can you go through the visa process
2: for? Sure. Us? Yeah, sure. So the visa the visa process, you choose your visa category when you're purchasing your flight. So you log into Delta or JetBlue or whatever airline, you book your flight and there's just an additional step. It's just like booking any other flight, but there's an additional step. Uh, where you will select your visa category. In some cases, you'll pay your $50 for the visa immediately. In some cases, you'll pay when you get to the airport. But you select that category when you book your flight. And then when you're going to board your plane, you're going to select that category again. You just need to make sure that your itinerary matches that. You can't say, hey, I'm going to support the Cuban people. And then you're just sitting on the beach drinking mojitos all day. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Now, as a tour operator, are there constraints on the places that you can visit in Cuba and the types of experiences that you can offer? Uh,
2: Yes, there are. Um, Yes and no. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I do, I lead trips to Cuba. Uh, My company is called Escaping New York, and I also help people plan their own trip to Cuba, which is important. People can still travel there legally, but I recommend speaking with a tour leader or travel advisor just to make sure that you're, you're doing so legally because there are restrictions on where you can stay and what you can do. A lot of the the government, State Department terminology is is, is pretty vague, perhaps intentionally so, but it does specifically prohibit staying in or patronizing any establishment that is partially or entirely owned by the Cuban military. This affects people in the accommodations hotel category the most because every single hotel in Cuba is partially owned by the Cuban government, not necessarily the military branch, but every hotel is partially owned or entirely owned by the Cuban government. Many are owned by the military branch, but you would never know by the name of the hotel. Some of them are partially owned by international chains, European chains, like Iberostar or Melia. They're partially owned by that European chain, and then they're partially owned by the military in Cuba, which means they're off-limits to American travelers. Mm -hmm. Um, Other military-owned companies, some of the tour companies and transportation companies in Cuba are owned by the military branch, Uh, You never know by the name of it. There is a specific list on the State Department website that you can look through. Uh, I link to it on my website. I link to it in articles that I've written for uh, travel publications about it. So the information exists. Uh, So if you want to plan your trip, you can. You just have to do a lot of research, or you can hire somebody to help you plan and do that research for you.
0: Now, once travelers are in Cuba after all of the legal Requirements have been met. What can they expect to see, and how can they experience the real, authentic Cuba?
2: Sure, they're going to have a great time. <laughs> uh, I it is so rare that somebody tells me they didn't have a good time in Cuba, and if that's the case, it's probably because they they went down there with a mission to have a have a bad time, um, <laughs> or to, because they're expecting luxury accommodations. Don't go to Cuba for a luxury experience. There certainly are nice hotels and there's certainly nice restaurants and there's nice cars, uh, but it's not really set up for luxury travel. Uh, If you want to get to know the Cuban people, that's very easy. Cubans are extraordinarily friendly. They're very welcoming. They're very kind. They're very generous. And they're very, very interested in talking with with travelers. Uh, People need to know that the Cubans Distinguish between Americans and between the American government. So, regardless of what's going on between the two governments, the Cuban people take no issue with Americans and they're very welcoming to them. I think it's really important to have conversations with Cuban people. Uh, part of the activities that I organize for the, my group tours and for the travel planning is meeting with non traditional guides. So, not the typical tour guide who's just going to go to the typical tourist attractions, you know, but meeting with urban planners and architects and journalists and documentary filmmakers and teachers and learning about the Cuban experience through them and through their eyes. Mm
0: -hmm. I also think
2: it's really important to leave Havana. Havana is (laughs) wonderful, but it's just one city in Cuba and it doesn't represent the country. It's like going to New York City for a few days and saying, oh, I've seen the United States. No, you haven't. You've seen a small (laughs) portion of it. (laughs) Cuba has lovely beaches, which it's known for, but it has hiking. It has biking. I've biked toured the country and wrote a book about it. It has fantastic scuba diving. It has snorkeling. Uh, you can do cooking classes. You can learn how to roll cigars. Um, you can ha- have salsa lessons. You can do anything you want to do in Cuba and you can have a wonderful time and you can do it legally
3: hmm Now, I've heard stories from other travelers to Cuba that, uh, you know, residents on the island will often approach them and ask for samples of basic needs that may come through the hotel or through uh, things that they've uh, carried on with them, like soaps and mm-hmm. shampoos and toilet paper. Is that frowned upon by the Cuban government I'm not sure if they have an official
2: stance. I'll say I've I've never heard of it being frowned on. I've never heard of anybody being, you know, reprimanded for that. It does happen mm-hmm. all the time. All the time. People asking for simple items. Um, they're not asking for a cell phone. They're asking for soap, pens, pencils, clothing, particularly outside of the main cities where there is the most need. Uh, a lot of women are requesting bras. Um, they will sometimes come up to you um, at your home or leaving your home, and they'll ask if you're leaving anything. Uh, I strongly believe that being part of a responsible traveler to Cuba is, is bringing some donations. I strongly, strongly encourage that to everybody I work with that's traveling to Cuba, and I have a list. I, I provide a packing list of what to pack for you <laughs> since it's very difficult to find Everyday items like soap and toothpaste and sunscreen, like you want to bring all that with you. But I also have a list of potential donations that are very much needed and that won't take up too much room in your luggage. Uh, For instance, medication. Cuba has a fantastic medical system, but it can be very difficult to access medication. So simple pain relievers and ointments are very much appreciated. Uh, Sunscreen is appreciated. I encourage people to bring some clothing to leave behind. I typically pack for the trip. Half the clothes I'm wearing on the trip are clothes that I'm going to intentionally leave behind, shoes that I'm intentionally going to leave behind. So you don't necessarily have to bring a second suitcase with you. You can strategically pack to leave those items behind.
0: What are some of the best practices, in your opinion, for enjoying Cuba in a respectable and responsible way?
2: Something I really stress is bringing a water filter. Like many countries around the world, the water is not potable. You're not going to get as sick drinking the tap water there as you would in some other places. It's not nearly as bad. Uh, But Cuba is a gorgeous country, but they they really do have a big problem with plastic water bottles being discarded. Uh, They don't have proper recycling uh, facilities To the level that we have in the United States. So a lot of that ends up in the trash. And a lot of it comes from tourists, uh, particularly a lot of the homes do sell water to their clients as part of their business model. And while I don't want to, you know, take away from their business model, um, they tip they specialize in the very small single use. Mm -hmm. plastic. And so I'll see tourists go through three or four or five water bottles in a single day because they don't know where to buy
3: the five-gallon jug. You can buy it, but it's definitely harder to come by. In the last few seconds that we have left, um, I want to ask you, what do you see through your heart's eye when you travel around Cuba? When I travel around Cuba, I meet
2: curious people. They are so eager to talk with you, especially if you get to the smaller smaller cities and villages. I've met so many Cubans who had never met an American before. And I felt like an ambassador representing my country. And (laughs) well, you are. I am. I am. And I'm going to say the first thing everybody wants to talk about is Donald Trump and policy. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of conversations I've had. And I get kind of sick of it. But that is my job. I am representing my country. I am having that conversation with them. (laughs) Um, And I'm letting them know how much, you know, Americans do support Cubans.
0: To learn more about traveling to Cuba, click on the links to additional resources, including Cassandra's company, Escaping New York, on this show page.
3: looking forward to going back to Puerto Rico dear, with you just in a couple of months and I think this trip will be a little bit different because we'll have more time and it will allow us to see some of the -the out-of-the-way places that we missed the last time.
0: I know we've only been to Puerto Rico together twice and one of those was on a stopover and we got a chance to uh, get some local cuisine but What I liked about what our guests uh, reiterated and a theme that came up uh, this week as we attended some conferences is that in order to make travel sustainable, you really have to try to support the local businesses going to their local restaurants and getting kind of off the common path that tourists take in order to really help these communities that have been devastated by hurricanes and now an earthquake uh, recover.
3: And, you know, I think that is the best way to travel, to seek out those real, authentic experiences Experiences, And I think that's what we all want. And, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting Sarah when we visit uh, Puerto Rico, as much as I am looking forward to visiting Cuba and having uh, mojitos and seeing where Hemingway walked and all of the wonderful things that Cassandra shared with us. Cuban novelist Pedro Juan Gutierrez sums up the majority sentiment about Cuba when he says... Cuba may be the only place in the world where you can be yourself and more than yourself at the same time. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are honored that you chose to take this adventure with us. Thank you for spending this time and allowing us to connect you to the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes, and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.